1: and ministries around the globe. Locally we do that with organizations like Lafayette Urban Ministry, of course our food pantry, and, and other organizations as well. And then globally we do that in lots of different ways with, with people like the Renfros and the work that they're doing in Africa. And so this morning we get to hear from uh, Mark. Uh, Shelley, and I have known he and Amy and their family for a lot of years. Uh, they are friends. Uh, they served in the Middle East with us. They are mentors and uh, they're incredible servants of God's kingdom. And, and so you get to hear from uh, Mark as he shares and, and his role. So I'll kind of explain a bit of that and he may talk more about that is in the continent of Africa and the region of Africa, there are lots of Muslim people groups. And so Mark's heart and his mission is mobilizing the national church that there, there's a lot of uh, Africans who are Christians and equipping them on how they can reach their Muslim neighbor which is a really important thing, but I also want to say this, they can do that far more effectively than we can because they already know the culture. Oftentimes they already know the language. So then it's just bridging the gap to say, you are my neighbor in Christ and I want to help you know who he is. And and so it's a really important work of mobilizing what are Christians all across the African continent to reach their Muslim neighbor. So can we welcome Mark as he comes?
0: It is always good to be here. i we love the Maddox family, and I know you do too. Uh, and have uh, It does it kind of mess me up, though, when I see kids that were like, I, I was around kind of when they were either really little or born, and they're like giantly taller than I am now. And uh, I realize that's not a big accomplishment, but still. Um, anyway, it's great seeing them, great being together. I want to uh, talk to you this morning about uh, the Great Commission. Surprise, surprise. It's what we're about. Jesus' last words to his uh, church as he was on earth, go and make disciples of all peoples. Glad to see this couple getting ready to go to Mumbai. Glad to know that Connection Point continues to send out people locally and globally. Uh, that you have at the heart of what you do and at your heart spiritually this, the state of and god's stake in the nations even in our worship time this morning as we prayed and we sang we talked about revelation chapter five, seven verse nine and of course also in revelation chapter five where every tribe every nation every tongue before the throne of god even that passage we referred to in Psalm chapter 69, let the nations praise you. That wasn't, the the writer wasn't referring to geopolitical nations. In Hebrew, there's two terms for people. There's the people of God, the, the Jews, and then there was everybody else. And sometimes in the Old Testament, that passage in the old translations was referred to as the heathen. Let the heathen praise you. Let the nations praise you. In other words, let everybody else. So this morning, we would be able to to put that in our words. It said, Lord, let your church praise you, but let everybody else that has not yet become part of your church praise you. Let your children praise you, but let every person that you long to see adopted into your family, let them praise you also. But in order for that to happen... We must go, that is the reality. As we talked last night in the group, we, we, we just dialogue back and forth and need to be reminded sometimes that there is no mission for God without movement. That the peoples of North Africa, the people of the Sahel area of Africa, that band that goes from Mauritania over to Somalia, where most of Africa's Muslim peoples live, that they're not going to be reached unless someone goes to them. It was that understanding that got this young couple moving many, many years ago. If you'd put that, there you Well, go back to the, there you go, hey. Um, I look exactly the same, don't I? Yeah, uh, That's what my kids called the Tom Selleck mustache. Um, so, uh, that was before we went to Egypt many, many years ago. Now the family looks a little bit different. Go back to that family picture. Um, there you go. Uh, that's our four kids and our daughter-in-law. Uh, let me introduce you to them really quick one at a time. There's my beautiful bride. Nope. That's not my bride. Uh, I would go to jail for that. Um, Uh, sorry. Uh, This is my beautiful bride, Amy. Uh, She's an incredible woman. She also leads um, the work of the Assemblies of God, our organization. Uh, She leads our work in security training. So anybody going out with the Assemblies of God as a missionary is going to go through some level of security training, depending on how long they're going to be on the field. Uh, that might be online if you're going for a short-term trip if you're going for a longer-term trip you're probably going to do a three-day training and if you're going to a really challenging place uh, where security might be a real um, major issue you would go through an 11-day training that actually has a what we call a camping component where kidnapping is simulated and uh, all of that. And so Amy leads all of that. And if something bad happened on uh, to one of our missionaries on the field, and maybe they were held captive for some reason, uh, Amy would be the one who sits at the head of the table in that crisis response mode. See, as a, there's two sides of missions. There's the sender side and the goer side. As a goer... It's my responsibility to be willing to pay any price for the sake of God's glory amongst the peoples of the earth. From a sender's side, it's my job to make sure that our people are as safe as they possibly can be. So it's not one or the other, it's both and. And I say that because there may be some people in this room who one day will have to wrestle with the idea about their children going overseas as missionaries. Maybe you'll be a closer, At the latter part of your life where you're going out and you need to understand that, yes, we bear any price for the sake of Jesus' name and for his glory amongst the nations, but we also have an organization standing behind us that cares for its people. Let me continue that process of introducing the family real quick. There's my beautiful daughter, Noor. She lives in Alexandria, Egypt. She is a international school teacher, and uh, she's just one of the sweetest people you'll ever meet. You'll notice our kids have interesting names. Uh, Some of you may remember the last time I was here, but all of our kids have Arabic names. Uh, Noor is the Arabic word for light. Uh, uh, Habib is our oldest son. His name is the Arabic word for the one I love. I do love the rest of my children, uh, not as much, but I love them. Um, he's an amazing young man. I'll never forget the day he came to me, and we were sitting having a chat. And he said, "Dad, I, I, you know, we were asked, you know, what you do with kids." And I was like, "You know, what are you thinking you might want to do with your life, Habib?" And you know, he goes, "You could tell he was a little sheepish." He goes, "Well, I, I think I'd like to be a musician." I didn't hear any grunts or groans, so parents either suppress that or, um, you know, but I, I do remember thinking in my head, be a, good, be a good dad here, be a good dad here, be a good dad here, you know. Don't telegraph to your face what you're actually thinking, you know, because two sides of me, you know, one side said, I really want to encourage my son to be everything God wants him to be. On the other side, it's like, I don't want him living in my basement for the rest of his life. Um, uh, the good news is, is he no longer wants to be a musician. Uh, he has actually found the one occupation that pays less and has more, less job security than a musician. Uh, he now wants to be a poet. Um, uh, but to brag on him, a couple of weeks ago, he won a prize for the, uh, the best poetry entry in for the whole state of Missouri. Uh, the, the Poet Laureate of the state picked his Poem is the number one poem for the, that was submitted last year. So he is an amazing young man. And uh, he's married to that lady, Jennifer, and now she's, he's her problem. Um, so, yeah. This is our oldest son, Nabil. He's uh, an amazing young man, loves Jesus, um, is a senior in university, getting ready to graduate, already got a job, very funny. We say of Nabil, he is the kid most likely to cry with you or to punch you in the face. Uh, because whatever he feels, he feels deeply. Uh, and uh, he actually says, he says, Dad, I feel called to make money the way you feel called to missions. That's actually a good thing. John Wesley used to say, You make all you can, you save all you can, and you give all you can. That's a great way to live your life. Senders can't, you can, I can't go if you don't send. That's the reality. And the more resources that are in your hand, the more you can do with it. I did tell my son, Nabil though, I said, buddy, I, I think that's great. I do want to give you two words. And he said, yeah, what are those? You know, and I said, well, first of all, remember that God can trust more people with poverty than he can with riches. Because what you, if God gives you a lot, he expects you to be a good steward with it. He's like, that's a very good word, Dad. What's the next one? And I said, my account number, two four eight five five two two. He said, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> then this is our youngest son. He's a, our son, Emad. He's a junior at University of Missouri, very science-minded. He is a, a chemical engineering major. And as you see, he is a prodigal, very, very far away from Jesus. So if you think about the Renfro family, it would Always, we appreciate it when you pray for our ministry, but of course, nothing touches the heart of a mother or dad more than the state of their children, so if you wouldn't mind praying for a mad, we would appreciate that. We, most of our kids left the home. Of course, COVID has impacted all that, but we kind of became empty nesters, so we decided to adopt. So, uh, let me introduce you to the newest member of our family. Yeah, yeah. I'm just sucking up to the dog lovers in the room. Um, uh, uh, my daughter writes me one day. I sent her a picture of us taking our dog to Andy's. And Andes is the frozen custard place in Springfield, you know. And so I took the dog there and sent a picture, a video of, of me feeding ice cream to the dog. Sent it to my daughter who lives in Egypt. And she writes back, who are you and what did you do with my dad? Uh, And then she says, you have become soft in your old age. And then I laughingly replied to her, no, honey, I chose softness. (laughs) See, life will always send you things that will allow you the opportunity to become bitter. But if we walk daily in Jesus' presence, he gives us the ability of maintaining a soft heart and a tough skin. Unfortunately, through the years, I have met many Christians that develop just the opposite, soft skins and hard hearts. This morning, I pray that your heart is soft as I speak to you. I take this time to introduce you, not to my family, not just because I love them, I certainly do. You support our family as one of your missionaries, and so I want you to share with us in that and know those things. But I also want to shrink the gap between what you think a missionary is and what a missionary really is. I want you to understand that there is the, you have the opportunity to go just like we have gone, whether you are young or older, you have that opportunity. And maybe you have ideas in your mind that missionaries are people who walk this high off the ground. You know, I have never heard pastors lie so much as when they introduced me. I mean, they say really, really nice things. And, and to tell you the truth, they're not lying, they're all true, but they're not the full truth. See, I know the man who looks back at me in the mirror every day. You know, I put my pants on one leg at a time and about half the time I put both legs in the same hole. <laughs> I know my brokenness, I know that I love Romans chapter eight, but oftentimes I find myself living in Romans chapter seven. Those things that I want to do, I don't do, and those things I don't want to do, I find myself doing, but thanks be to God for his grace and mercy, that nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That is the message that we have for the Muslim world. and. You have been speak, you have your pastor has been leading you on a series about better together. He's shared with me some of the things that he has shared, and I want to pick up on that this morning and quickly move through a few points that, that talk about how we can be better together for the sake of the world. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, we read these words. You probably know them. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In this text, we read both of what we love about the gospel and what maybe we don't love about the gospel. You might think, is there something we don't love about the gospel? Well, a bit, if we're honest. See, we, we, in that, we read about the universality of the gospel. It's, it is for everyone. We love that part. We love the fact that God died for everyone. I mean, we're part of the everyone, so we can't help but love that element of the gospel. But there's not just a universality issue of the gospel. There's also an exclusivity part of the gospel, and that's who believes. Everyone who believes, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, those are conditional God loves, he wants to redeem, but belief is required. So what do you think about those people who have never heard the gospel? Perhaps you've had that argument in your mind. Perhaps you've heard others say it. I know for myself, I had that exact same debate. I thought to myself, What about those who have never heard? Could it be fair? Could it be just that God would send them to a Christless eternity? Okay, let's face it. That's a euphemism for hell. We don't like using words like that. I will be the first to say that. I don't like the exclusivity piece of the gospel. But regardless, it it makes no difference whether I like it or not. I learned a long time ago that if I'm going to be willing to call Jesus my Lord, then it means that my opinions must line up with his, not the other way around. And so I realized I had to wrestle through this. What does the Bible actually say about those who have never heard? So if you'll give me just a couple of minutes, just a warning, there's a theology piece coming here. You don't have to be worried. I'm not going to scare you or bore you. Uh, Or maybe you're scared that I'm going to bore you. Um, I'm not going to do that. But I am going to... It's important that we think rightly. Because orthopraxy, right living, seldom seldom happens apart from orthodoxy. Right belief. What we think impacts what we do and how we do it. So what does the Bible say about those who've never heard? Well, in Romans chapter 1, we read these words. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who interestingly, so these are people who have not received the gospel. They don't have the Bible. These are the Gentiles. These are the nations. These are the people referred to in Psalm 67. They suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them. Interesting, plain to them. God's revealed himself apart from his law, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what? From what he has made so that people are without excuse. You ever been to a place where the, there's not a lot of light pollution? Maybe out to the desert somewhere, maybe you went out to somewhere like Arizona or New Mexico, clear skies. I lived in the Middle East for so many years, saw many of these go out to the desert. Our family's favorite activity was to go to the south of Jordan to a place called Wadi Rum where we would camp. There'd be no light pollution whatsoever. Almost every day is a cloudless day. At night, we'd go out and we'd camp under the stars, look up into the sky, and the skies would be so clear. You could see the slur of the Milky Way. I mean, you could see thousands of stars with your naked eye. It was absolutely amazing. And what Paul is telling the church in Rome is that when those who don't have revelation, specific revelation, the revealed word of God, when they look into the heavens, they see the glory of God in what he has made. But rather than worshiping God, they harden their hearts and they worship the creation rather than the creator that God has revealed himself to them through creation. In short, this is what we call general revelation. General revelation is enough to condemn, but it's not enough to save. God never judges us according to what we don't have. He judges us by what we do have. So the revelation that those who without Scripture have what th- that revelation, even that they harden their hearts and they suppress. But what about those who do have scripture? What about those who have what we call specific revelation? We read these words in Romans chapter 2. You, all of us, because most of us have either li- grown up in the church or near the church. We had exposure to the gospel, either culturally or specifically in, our, in churches, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. You know the old expression, every time you point a finger, you got three pointing back at you. This is what we're talking about here, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, we know that God's judgment is against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you mere human beings pass judgment on them, those who do wrong, and yet you do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Now, let's be honest. This is the bad news of the good news. The gospel is the good news, but in order to understand that there is good news, you have to understand that there's bad news. I mean, the reality is, is nobody needs a savior unless they understand that they're lost. This is the part that our culture pushes back on, sometimes even in the church. We read further down in Romans chapter two, verses 12 and 16, all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. Remember, God judges only by what we have and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. In Romans chapter 3, we read that Paul kind of like takes all of this, puts it in a package, wraps it up, and it's not a present. When he says, all have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. So the issue of guilt is not based on whether or not we've heard the gospel. But the question of salvation is. So guilt, condemnation occurs through whatever revelation we have. But salvation comes only through the gospel preached. What am I basing that on? Well, here again, I'm basing that on Scripture because my opinion is absolutely irrelevant. You will never have to stand before God and give any account whatsoever for anything I said to you this morning that does not line up with God's Word. So I would prefer that we focus there. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How then can they call on him in whom they haven't believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they haven't heard? Guilt is about the individual, but missions is about us. The individual must believe, but missions is a communal activity. It takes us sending. For people to believe in Romans chapter 10, verse 15, we read these words. How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they're sent? The reality is this couple going to Mumbai couldn't go if you weren't sending them. It takes more to send than it takes to go. So here we see both the personal and the community responses that are needed. First of all, individuals must respond to the gospel. Secondly, individuals must share the gospel, but groups must send the gospel. Remember, Paul is not writing this to individuals in Rome. He is writing this to his to the church in Rome. Yes, our personal response empowers our community to send, but there is both that communal and personal response to that. Connection Point Church could not support 80 workers around the world, both globally and locally, if it wasn't for your individual efforts, your sacrificial efforts, Not only are we better together, the reality is, is that we cannot do this alone. Let's take a look at the map really quick so that we can get an idea of what we're talking about. This is the progress of the gospel according to the Joshua Project, an organization that tracks gospel penetration into culture groups around the world. So 17,000 plus unique ethno-linguistic people groups. So in other words, different culture, different language separated by geography. The green represents where the gospel is in mass. Is there gospel need in America? It's a question. It's a legitimate question. Is there? Absolutely. That's why you're here. So people in America... Have, they have thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions who are lost. And that's why God has placed his church in this culture. In other contexts, in those red contexts, those are the places where unless somebody crosses an ethnic, linguistic, and geographic boundary with the gospel, they will never hear. Let's look specifically at Africa. So, southern Africa, that green area, that is where missionary efforts happened in the early and mid 1900s. So, 1914, the organization I serve with, your church part of, the Assemblies of God, became a movement. Now, Pentecost came into, these, into this church, many of the people that were part of that got kicked out of their churches that they were in because of the movement that God was taking place and particularly around surrounding the, the, the phenomenon of speaking in tongues. A lot of them got what they refer to as the right boot of fellowship. You know, They got kicked out of their churches. And quite frankly, how many of you know that when you've been hurt, you tend to do this? And so all of these church people had gotten kicked out of all these churches they weren't exactly thrilled about the idea of forming a new denomination I mean they were quite frank quite frankly they were quite happy with their little small congregations but what they realized is that as they grew closer to God as the spirit of God had captured their life they understood that mission was at the heart of God And they understood that as small groups working independently, they could not evangelize the world. So if you go back to 1914, Second General Council of the Assemblies of God, Stone Church, Chicago, Illinois, you read about a declaration that was made that said, we commit ourselves to the greatest evangelism the world has ever seen. What a bold, brash, borderlining on arrogant statement if it wasn't for the fact that it was spirit empowered and spirit motivated. So those early missionaries started going to places like Central and Southern Africa. They went, many of them carrying their belongings in their caskets, knowing that they would never come back. Many of them died, many of them buried children in the soil of Africa for the sake of the gospel they made commitments like you and i cannot imagine and that's why the gospel is so present in southern and south africa today because they went and they paid those prices one of those places is called burkina faso the capital of burkina faso is ouagadougou isn't that just fun to say you know it sounds so african and I went there recently. They just celebrated their 100th anniversary as a church. Burkina Faso is the fifth poorest country on the African continent. That's a big deal when you think about the fact that of the 10 poorest countries in the world, nine of them are in Africa. So Afri- Burkina Faso is also the fifth poorest country, not only on the African continent, but in the world. Interestingly enough, it's the largest mission-sending church on the African continent. Sitting in a group of leaders from across the continent of Africa, I asked this very simple question of those African leaders. I said, help me understand something. I said, how is it that the Burkina Faso Church, which is so poor, can send out 164 missionaries across the world, and yet countries like South Africa, which are quite wealthy, they don't have a single missionary. And a brother from one of those countries said to me, oh, brother, it is very easy. Those people, they love Jesus more than they love their own lives. We love our lives more than we love Jesus. My question to you this morning is where is your love and how is it demonstrated? See, those red represent the unreached and the unengaged. Those who will not hear the gospel unless we go. Today, the opportunities for doing things together are, better than, are stronger than they have ever been. We need to stop thinking of some place as a mission field and start thinking of them as a mission force. Today, missions has shifted in many parts of the world. We no longer need to send missionaries to places like Nigeria, Because of previous generations' efforts, we have seen the church in places like that grow and explode, and we've seen thousands and thousands of churches planted, and today through one of the things that Amy and I are doing, we are training missionaries, not missionaries like you and me, not native English-speaking missionaries, but missionaries from all across that green part of Africa to cross the shorter cultural bridge, the shorter linguistic bridge, the shorter bridge of misunderstanding. Because see, if I go to Africa with my cultural baggage and quite frankly, even with the color of my skin, sometimes nobody listens to me because they can't separate my Words from their history of colonialization. No matter what I do, no matter how I live, their their hearts and their minds are set there. But when an African comes with the message of the gospel, it is stripped away from colonialization and they understand that these words are actually God's words become indigenous in the soil of this country. That Christianity is not a Western religion. It never was. It started in the East. But it was made to transcend culture. It is for every tribe, every nation, every tongue under heaven. And so that's why we give our energies and our efforts to seeing that happen. The same good news, Colossians chapter 1 verse 6, I'm wrapping up. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your life from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's grace. I'll tell you a quick story, and then we'll wrap it up. So I mentioned earlier Burkina Faso. Burkina Faso sends out its missionaries on very small budgets, They don't have a huge amount of money, as I mentioned. They have a spiritual dynamic that is second to none. So they have small budgets. They send them out. And the expectation is wherever they go, they will find a way of living in the culture. So they'll probably take a job. They'll do something that helps them be able to supplement their income and be able to live where they're at. One of their missionaries was felt called to go from Burkina Faso and go and work amongst the Muslims in the northern part of the country of Mali. Have you ever heard of Timbuktu? That's a real place. It's actually one of the holiest cities in Islam. It's in northern Mali. I can't even go to Timbuktu. It's, it's actually a dangerous place today because that area of northern Mali is controlled by Boko Haram, but this guy from Burkina Faso, he has no problems going. He's from a try a less um, from a poorer tribe with less social status in the country of Burkina Faso, and he goes to the border to tra- to go across into Mali. Gets there, there's a group of guards there. And this guy, he's, he's as bold as a lion. He walks up to these guards, and he starts sharing the gospel with them. Now, they're all Muslim. They mock him. They ridicule him. They laugh at him. And they tell him to go home. He's there trying to get his paperwork processed to get his visa so he can go in. He can't go in that day. He's going to have to come back the next day, get his visa. He goes back to his little room little hobble place he's staying in. It's really like a guest house where a bunch of people are staying. But that night, he gets down on his knees and he's praying. He's not praying about the offense that he received at the hands of these guards. He's actually praying for these guards. He says, God, what's it going to take for people like this to hear the gospel? He said, the Lord answered his prayer. He said, I want you to go to the little local convenience store, you know, don't think nice, you know, a little hole-in-the-wall kind of place. Remember, he has a very small budget. He says, I want you to go to, that, this, uh, to a convenience store, and I want you to buy a can of black shoe polish and a rag. It's like, okay, Lord. He goes to the store, buys a can of black shoe polish, gets a little rag for polishing shoes, He knows what he's supposed to do. The next day, he goes back to the border. Same guards are standing there. He walks up to them, but rather than coming up to them and start preaching the gospel, he walks up to them and he gets down on his hands and knees and he takes out the can of shoe polish and without a word, he starts polishing their boots. He goes from one to another to another. By the time he gets to the number, the third one, finally, they're like, okay, 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 stop. We can't, we can't take this anymore. Okay, what is it you want to tell us? He shares the gospel of Jesus Christ, and seven of the nine guards surrender their life to Jesus. It it is something to give praise for. It is something to clap about, and I'm not discouraging that, but I have to ask you, What would your response have been in that situation? Quite frankly, I think most of us would have been so upset about the offense received, if anything, we thought that night, it would have been God smite them. Instead, in humility and God's love, he prayed for them. Secondly, he had very few resources he wanted to go to the north of Mali. These people weren't really part of his mission field. You want me to spend my hard earn my little bit? You want me to spend it on these people who've not only have they rejected you, they've rejected me. You want me to spend my money on them? God said, yeah. Because see, that's exactly what he did for us. That he who was rich became poor for our sake. See, the good news is that wherever the gospel is proclaimed even in the dirty dusty hard soil of muslim africa it bears fruit we will never be able to send though enough missionaries to reach africa there are one thousand and eight unreached people groups on the continent of africa almost 900 of those are muslim we will never be able to send One live-dead team, forget one, we would never be able to send one missionary to each one of those nearly 900 unreached people groups, and even if we did, our fruit would probably be small, but the continent of Africa is full of spirit-filled, born-again believers who simply need training. So that's why we do what we do. And to do what we do, we need your help. Because quite frankly, we can do this together. Why do we do it? It's quite simple. Because it's Jesus' plan to make disciples of all the world. And as our brother who led worship this morning made it clear, Jesus is worthy. Pastor Zach.
1: So we want to participate in the work that Mark is doing. So as, as Pastor Michael was up here before and uh, collecting an offering earlier, he mentioned the, the KB side of Kingdom Builders. And so we always have a, a project assigned to every region of the world every year. And so the project that we wanted to get behind for Africa is what Mark is heading up. So he talked about they're creating a curriculum to be able to put in the hands of, of the local church in our African countries. And... In so doing, equipping that church to be able to reach their Muslim neighbor. So they're creating eight books, and it's from scholars of, of different places around the world to be able to say, here is how this can be done. We can do this together. And so we'd like to be able to get behind that content, that curriculum. So there's uh, eight books. Every book costs about $15,000 to produce from start to finish. And I feel like we can have a part to play in that. I think we could fund at least a third of a book, right? Wouldn't that be awesome to know that that's part of what we're doing and touching all of Africa that way, that we can take those countries in the green, help them push up into the red. Wouldn't it be nice if the whole continent was green, right? And that's what we want to see. We are about marking names off the list If you've not gone over to see the hallway of our unreached people group. So Mark talked about how many people groups there are in the world and how many are still unreached. So we've got all of those people groups listed on a wall, but here's what's cool. I asked Jay and Delight, before you leave, could you help us? And could you start going through? Because we already know we've already reached some of those groups. So they went through and marked and read all of the names we've already accomplished, like mission accomplished. And we're going to keep going. How many would like to see more names marked off that list? And that's what we've got opportunity for today. So I would like to invite you to give everything given today toward this offering. So we're going to collect an offering now. Uh, Everything given today goes to helping uh, create that content, that curriculum that gets in the hands of of African Christians who can reach their Muslim neighbor. Uh, If you'd like to give online, you can feel free to do that. In the drop-down menu is guest speaker. And again, everything is just a pass through. We just pass it right along to that ministry, to Mark and, and the work they're doing. If you want to give in the back, the offering envelopes, just fill that in. Write in Mark's name or Africa, just something that helps us know that that's what you want to give to. But let's be a part of, of reaching the African continent. And uh, let's get that, those names marked off so that we can go home. That's really what we're going for, because uh, we're not home yet. And we have, as we've been talking in this Better Together series, that we have a king, we live in a kingdom. God's word is our guide and we have a mission to fulfill. And so that's what we get to be a part of today. So I'm going to pray over those gifts and then we're going to close in song. God, we just thank you for the invitation to be a part of what you're doing in the world today. We know you are at work. And so God, we just want to join you in that work. And God, I pray that we join Mark in the work that they're doing to be able to see the African continent changed. To be able to see... Muslims like these guards that had opportunity to have witness. I just pray that we would be a part of sending. Blessed are the feet of those who bring good news. So God, may we be good news carriers. God, I just pray that you would bless the efforts of this content, this curriculum as we give toward that. I pray that others would too, that we could see this collection done in the hands and at work that there might be a Christian force that's mobilized on the African continent. Lord, we trust you for that work. We thank you for the invitation to be a part. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.